You may remember that uh, you were advised last Lord's Day that today's meditation would be in the Psalms, and this time it's Psalm 46. It would not be a difficult thing to find some of God's people in different parts of the world. Uh, who know this psalm off by heart. It's one of those psalms in the Bible that not only carries a message, as does every one of the psalms, but many, many people, as to their own experience, have found this psalm to be very precious indeed. A long life's way. When you look at the opening words, I think you have the explanation there. Precious words, privilege to have the word of God and to be reading it together. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raged. The word heathen in the Bible just doesn't refer to some uh, little known tribe in the far reaches of the Amazon. For example, the heathen are the Gentile nations. And when you think of the United Kingdom, state of that country spiritually, all the countries that are represented under that banner, why, we're looking at heathen society in each and every one of those countries. The heathen are the Gentile nations. And as such, they are lined up in opposition to the word of God and to the things of God. And that's where we find the heathen throughout Scripture. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. And as we've shown, in opposition to the Lord. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in the fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Once more, you have those thoughts about the word that ends the psalm. Repeat it for our admonition. Selah. May we be enabled to think about these things in Jesus' name. Let's turn again, please, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 46, familiar words. And can we just say again how delighted we are to see you? And maybe you're not a regular attender, and you're here just visiting, or you haven't been out for a little while. Maybe you're not even yet a Christian, or maybe you've lost your way spiritually and you're cold at heart, or whether you're going through with God or not. We're just delighted to see each and every one of you. We want you to know that, that you're very, very welcome and we're glad that you're here and want you to feel very much part of this fellowship and this assembly. And we want you to be blessed most of all and know something of the Lord's presence as we meet Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Psalm 46, the first two verses we're considering this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord earnestly as we consider his word today. Eternal God and everlasting Father, how thankful we are once again that we're found on the Lord's day in the Lord's house. We thank thee, O God, for thy word and for it's being read and are hearing this morning. And we thank you, Lord, we can approach now thy throne and pray for the help of heaven. O God, we entreat thee that every individual here this morning might be conscious of the Lord's speaking voice. Meet us at the point of need and encourage us as we sit around thy feet. Challenge our hearts and give us a fresh vision of our God. Grant now the help and the infilling of the Spirit of God. May everything dovetail together for thy glory and for the blessing of all gathered here. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it with thanksgiving for thy glory and in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been my intention for a number of weeks now to do a series just entitled simply, Help for the hard times. Help for the hard times. And we're going to be considering over the next number of weeks this great psalm, Psalm number 46, which is a remarkable psalm and is undoubtedly a favorite of many. Psalm 46 was a favorite of Martin Luther, the great reformer. What trouble sometimes he lived in, spiritually speaking, and what discouragements he often times feast. As Martin Luther wrote something 
about his own Christian experience. On one occasion, he recorded, At one time, I was sorely vexed and tried by my own sinfulness, by the wickedness of the world, and by the dangers which beset the church. One morning, he just testified that he came downstairs for breakfast. His wife was dressed all in black as if she was going to be attending a funeral service. She was dressed in mourning. And Martin Luther asked her the question, who has died? And his wife, Katie, simply turned around and says, don't you know, God in heaven has died. And he was quite agitated by that statement. He said, how can you talk such nonsense, Katie? How can God Almighty die? God is everlasting. God is eternal. God lives eternally. How can that possibly be true? How could God die? God is eternal. And his wife, Katie, turned around and says, is it true that God is eternal? Martin Luther says, of course it is. And then Katie says, well, if that's true and you believe that to be true, how can you be so hopeless? And how can you be so discouraged? If God is alive and He's our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble, how can you, Martin, be so downcast and so despondent and so discouraged? And he saw something of light dawning in his soul at that time. He took pen to paper and he wrote the words of that now famous Reformation hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. What a psalm we have in Psalm 46. It falls in a little collection of psalms that begin really at the beginning of the 40s there, Psalm 44, 45, 46, 47, and 48 form a, a lovely collection of psalms that are all very much connected and very much linked. And Psalm 46 itself is divided very nicely into three distinct parts. Verses 1, 2, and 3 form the first part of the psalm, and you'll notice that they end with the little word Selah. And then verses 4 through to 7 form the second part of the psalm. And likewise, that section ends again with the little word Selah. And then the third and final section of the psalm, verses 8 to 11, again ends with that little word Selah. And maybe you've discovered that word in your reading of Scripture. And you've wondered, perhaps, what does the little word Selah really mean? Well, it's a grammatical thing. It is put in there in Scripture at strategic places by the Spirit of God Himself. And the little word sila just means to stop and to pause and to consider and to reflect on what has just been said. Because sometimes we read our Bibles very, very haphazardly and the Spirit of God has to remind us sometimes, now I just want you to stop. I want you to pause and reflect and consider and to think about what you have just read. The little word selah, in many respects, is like the exhortation in verse number 10, be still and know that I am God. And really that little word selah, it means to be still. 
Be still and know. Now, do you know what you've just read? Do you really know the one of whom you've been reading about? And so the first section of Psalm 46 speaks of God's sufficiency. God is our refuge and our strength. Verses 4 through to 7 speak about God as our security. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. What a text that is for a Christian that's going through trial. And then the last section speaks about God being our supremacy. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. And there's many respects in which this psalm, yes, has a historical setting, and it's got a very devotional application for the Christian, but this psalm as well is also a very prophetic psalm. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Daniel 12 speaks about a time of trouble that will come upon the world in the end time age, a time of great tribulation. And a psalm like this will be very precious to the child of God during that time of trouble on the earth. But then the psalm ends with the words that the Lord will make wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in sunder. He burns the chariot in the fire. And there will come a time, I believe, whenever all the world will be still before God. And Jesus Christ our Lord will reign upon the earth. And in the truest sense, he will be exalted among the heathen. And he will make wars to cease unto the end of the earth. And what a blessed, blessed time and blessed thing that will be. Now the title of the psalm, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. So it's a psalm that was used greatly to music, and a psalm that was used in worship, a psalm that was perhaps by the title Alamoth, that just indicates the young virgins, the young woman, a psalm perhaps that was directed to young people in the uh, congregation and the assembly of Israel. And for a believer who is going through hard times and fiery trials, Psalm 46 is absolutely indispensable. If it was the only part of the Word of God that you possessed in that regard, with regards to hard times and difficult times, it certainly would be enough. And I want over the next number of weeks, and I'm not sure how long, maybe months even, we're going to look at this particular psalm, maybe not sticking to it rigidly, because there are many great themes in this psalm that take us to other places in Scripture. It's like the tribe of Joseph in that respect. It's like a fruitful boy that has its roots in the well, but spreads out and reaches to many, many other places. And so this morning, we're just going to look at the first couple of verses as we consider help for hard times. You'll notice that the psalmist here speaks about the time of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And that little phrase at the end of verse number one just forms our first point. It reminds us of the time 
of trouble. Now, the Word of God is so brutally honest as to what this world is and as to what we are by nature. The Bible does not hide the reality of trouble and trial and affliction in the life of the Christian. That's one reason among many others why I cannot reconcile the teaching of the charismatic movement with the Word of God. Because so often the charismatics will teach us that if you're a Christian and you're walking with God, there'll be no trouble, there'll be no adversity. It's health, wealth, and prosperity all the way. And if there's trouble, then something is wrong with your walk with God. But I don't believe today that is the teaching of God's Word. Psalm 34 says in verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. It doesn't just say in the Word of God that the way of the transgressor is hard, and it does say that, but it also says that the righteous, those who are clothed in the garments of salvation, those who are walking with God, oftentimes experience many afflictions. And Peter, in his first great letter, 1 Peter, talks about the fiery trial which is to try you. He talks about the trial of faith. And he talks about being in heaviness. That means discouraged and downcast. Brought low. In heaviness through manifold temptations, through many trials of varying type and varying degree. I challenge you, whenever you go home this afternoon, lift your Bible, read 1 Peter chapter 1. Read 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 12, speaks about the fiery trial. And he says, we shouldn't think it strange or unusual or out of keeping with living the Christian life. Whenever trials come, fiery trials come, as if some strange or out-of-keeping thing has happened to us. But rather, we are to expect sometimes trials in the Christian life. In fact, virtually any believer that you consider in the Word of God faced the time of trouble and the time of trial. Whether it was Abraham, or Joseph, or Moses, or Samuel, or David, or Solomon, or Job, or Elijah, or John the Baptist, or the Apostle Paul, or the disciples, or Mary and Martha. There are so many in the Word of God who had an unblemished testimony and yet still faced the time of trial. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself was tried and tested and tempted, even at the very commencement of his earthly ministry, led, the Bible says, by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him where? Into the wilderness, a dry, difficult, and barren place. And what did he experience in the wilderness? He was tempted by the devil. It was a very real trial, and the temptations that he faced there were very real. And then, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the Valley of Trial, his darkest hour was approaching. And then the great trial of taking up the cross and bearing away the sins of his people. Our Savior 
Peter says, has left us an example. He has suffered for us and left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He was in all points tempted or tried or tested like as we are, yet without sin. John Newton in the great hymn that we sang earlier, speaking of our Savior, said, How bitter that cup no heart can conceive, which he drank quite up, that sinners might live. His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Christ my Lord suffer? And shall I repine? Many people take Psalm 46 to be a psalm that coincides with the trial that the godly king Hezekiah went through in his reign upon the throne of Israel. Whenever Sennacherib, an evil Assyrian king, rose up against Hezekiah and against Israel and Judah, and Hezekiah was a man who, according to Second Kings 18, brought revival and reformation and renewal to his people, opened up again the doors of the temple of the Lord, brought out the book of the law again and opened the scriptures again before the people, called the people to prayer, and the Word of God says that as this great move of the Spirit spread through the land, that the thing was done suddenly. And it was a blessed time. There was never a king after David quite like King Hezekiah. And whenever God's Spirit was moving, the enemy got active and the enemy got very busy. And Sennacherib wrote a letter to King Hezekiah and to Hezekiah's people. And that letter called the people not to believe in Hezekiah, neither to trust in his God. And Sennacherib reminded Hezekiah of all the nations that he had defeated and said, are you going to be any different? Let not your Lord, let not Jehovah deceive you into thinking that you're going to be kept safe. I'm going to destroy you and bring your nation down. Hezekiah was greatly troubled. He found himself in the time of trouble. But according to 2 Kings chapter 19, that as Hezekiah heard the reading of this letter, that he tore his clothes, he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth. And what did he do then? The Bible says he went into the house of the Lord. Many of God's people think that the best thing to do whenever trial and affliction and adversity and fear come, stay away from God's house until you feel better. But Hezekiah, the first thing that he did, I need to get to the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord. And then he took this great letter and the Bible says he spread it all before the Lord. And he began to pray unto the Lord and weep before the Lord. And he poured out his heart before the God of Israel. And he was essentially saying, God is my refuge. God is my strength. A very present help in trouble. And maybe today that's where you find yourself as a Christian. The enemy has come in like a flood. Your faith has been shaken to its very core. 
there have been many trials, many temptations, many afflictions, maybe one on the back of the other, maybe one on top of another, and you find yourself today wearied and heavy laden and laid down, and your faith has been shaken, and you wonder, is God going to step in? The enemy has tested you and tried you. You've maybe received bad news. The enemy has come in like a flood, and you need a word from God today. And you need to take those accusations and those doubts and fears and just spread them before the Lord and say, Now, Lord, these are the thoughts that are entering into my mind. These are the things that I'm struggling with. These are the doubts and these are the fears that I have. And Lord, my faith is small. And Lord, you've answered prayer before. But Lord, I'm not sure if you're going to come through this time. Do you ever feel like that? God has helped me before, but this trial is completely different. This trial is bigger and greater, and there are many things connected with this that I haven't experienced before, and you really wonder, is God going to bring me through this time? And your faith, perhaps, is ever so small, just like a grain of mustard seed, perhaps. And you look at others, and their faith seems to be so strong and unshakable, but your faith is shaken. I tell you, I think every Christian at times feels just like that. Every elder, every pastor, every missionary, every evangelist, every Sunday school teacher, every prayer warrior, every person who knows and loves Jesus Christ will at times be like Peter and will have their faith sifted and shaken like wheat, almost to the point where it feels perhaps that there's nothing left, but you can bring it all before God. God is a refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The Word of God here speaks about the time of trouble, but it also speaks about the sufficiency of our God. We have mentioned that this psalm divides nicely into three parts of almost equal length, verses 1 to 3, verses 4 to 7, verses 8 to 11. But even as we think about the very first verse, that verse itself, as it describes our God, divides again into three distinct parts that show us something of the attributes of our God. God is our refuge. Then God is our strength. And then thirdly, God is is our help. God is our refuge. Now, the same word that is translated from the Hebrew into English there could also be rendered not just refuge, but shelter. And it's really denoting a covering. God is our refuge. God is my shelter. God is my covering. Whenever the times of trouble come, God is my refuge, my shelter, my covering. Do you remember the children of Israel the night of the Passover? God said to them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the idea is there, God says, I will pass over you and I will cover you and shelter you and protect you and I will be a refuge to you during this night of great trouble. It was said to Ruth whenever she came from Moab and she found shelter and security gleaning in the fields of Boaz and she had come to trust in the God of Israel. 
it was said to her that you have come to trust under the wings of the Lord, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And Ruth, that young Moabitess, with all of her heartache and pain and coming in as a stranger, didn't know the drill in Israel, didn't know how these people really lived, and found herself accepted by Boaz himself, accepted by his God, and she came to trust under the shelter of the Lord's wings. And so many times in the book of Psalms itself, it speaks about being under the shadow of the Lord's wings. Psalm 57, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I take my refuge. It's the same word. Under the shadow of thy wings will I take my shelter until these calamities be overpassed. And that's the thought. God is our refuge. And there are many references in the book of Psalms to being under the shadow or the covering or the refuge of God's wings. The story is told of a farmer who had a, a large wooden barn that he had built and came one day to find that his barn had been burned to the ground never quite got to the root of the problem or the cause of why his barn had been built. And as he walked through the remains and through the ashes, he found the charred remains of an old hen. And quite casually, just with his toe, he kicked over that hen. And underneath the charred remains of, of the mother hen who had died in the fire, several little chicks were found alive and well. They had been found under the shadow of the mother hen's wings. And the Lord said to the nation of Israel and to the people of Jerusalem, How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings? But ye would not. And under the great wrath of Almighty God, under judgment fire, whenever a person comes to the cross, they're found safe under the wings of our Lord Jesus Christ who took the fire of God's wrath from me. And maybe today your primary problem is that whenever the trials and troubles of life come, you've got no shelter, you've got no refuge, you've got nobody or no one to turn to that can provide the protection that you need. I tell you today, Jesus Christ is a great refuge. He's a great shelter. He's described here as a refuge He's also described as being our strength. God is almighty. God in heaven is omnipotent. And that omnipotent strength, that omnipotent power, upholds and strengthens and sustains every believer during the time of trouble. Do you remember the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 9, as he endured that thorn in the flesh, that physical affliction, whatever it may have been, caused him so much pain and discomfort. And as he prayed that God would remove it, God rather said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. We dare not trust or rely in our own strength. The hymn writer said, the arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said, Man's extremity is God's opportunity of helping and saving. God is our refuge. 
God is our strength. God is also our help. A very present help in trouble. You know, sometimes we turn, don't we, to other things that cannot profit and cannot help. Sadly, Hezekiah had made an alliance at one time with the king of Egypt, and it was just a, a bruised reed that it would break underneath his weight if he leaned upon it. Isaiah 30, and verse numbers 1 and 2 say, Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Or sorry, Psalm 31, verse 1. Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Egypt is a type of the world. And Abram, whenever he was making his way to the land of promise, whenever trial came, there was a time whenever he says, let's go down to Egypt and find our sustenance there. And it was a barren season in his life. And sadly today, many Christians even now, rather than flying to Christ and trusting in Him, as our refuge and our strength and our help, so many go down to the world and employ worldly means and worldly methods to try to bring them out of their trial. Did you notice here in the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 46, that whenever personal pronouns are used, they are always used in the sense of plurality. God is not my refuge only, but God is our refuge. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Every believer has got the same standing before Almighty God. Every believer's got the same access to the throne of grace. And God is sufficient for all of His people. His strength is made perfect in weakness, and His grace is sufficient for us. You'll notice as well, not only in the opening words of this great psalm, it speaks of the time of trouble, it speaks of the sufficiency of God, but it also speaks about the nearness of the Lord, the nearness of God. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That just means that God is immediately near. He's right there with us in the time of trouble. God is very near. Acts 17, 27 says that He be not far from every one of us. God is omnipotent. He's our strength. But God is omnipresent. He's a very present help in trouble. God is always near me. Knowing what I say, knowing all my thoughts and deeds, all my work and play, the psalmist says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell below, thou art there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the earth or the sea, behold, thou art there, and even there shall thy right hand lead me. But he is especially near to his people whenever they're in trouble. A very present help in trouble. And sometimes it's not until we find ourselves in trouble that we cast ourselves upon the Lord. I dare say that many professing Christians can say that it was through trouble and trial that they proved the Lord. But whenever the trials dissipate and the troubles are removed and we find ourselves in a place of fruitfulness and we're fat and we're flourishing and everything is going well. Isn't it true that we often take our foot off the pedal a little bit? 
and we don't pray as much as we should, and we don't read the Word of God as much as we should, and we let our guard down, and we slacken the ropes a little bit, and we are not careful to walk with God. But whenever we're in trial, we feel our need of Him, and we begin to pray and claim the promises of God and watch our testimony, lest somehow we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. F.B. Meyer, the great Keswick speaker, said, We never know how near God can be until we are in trouble. We never know how near God can be until we are in trouble. And again, the classic example, do you remember Daniel's three friends and Daniel 3 found themselves not in spite of their faith, but because of their faith, in the midst of a burning and fiery furnace. And as those who have thrown the men looked through the door from a great distance, they said, we see four men walking around in the midst of the fire. We threw three men in, but now there's four. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The Lord himself had entered into the fiery trial with them. And as a heathen world watched on, they saw three young men who had honored God and were now proving God. And if they hadn't honored God and put God first and stepped out and been separate from the world, they would never have shown to the world that their God was sufficient. The Christian gains absolutely nothing by letting down their guard letting go of their testimony and breaking down the walls of separation from the world. But whenever a Christian proves God, although it's difficult, a world watching on can see the presence of the Lord with them. The God who said, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. God says, I will be with you and the flames shall not kindle or light Upon thee. Now we know today that Psalm 46 is true because it's God's word. But I wonder today, do you know it's true because you've proved it in your own life? Are you able to say, God is my refuge, my strength, and a very present help in trouble, and I will not be afraid if the earth be removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea? You know what Job said at the end of Job? And in chapter 42, the last chapter, this man who had been through probably the deepest trial that any human being outside of Christ himself had ever been through, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And what he meant was, I knew the doctrines, I knew the truths of God, I never doubted God in my mind and I, I was able to verbalize truth and communicate truth and pray over the truth. But now that I have proved God in the midst of my trouble, I have seen the hand of God and I have experienced the presence of God in a way that I never really knew before. I knew the truth theoretically, but now I know the truth experientially. And I have proved that God is a refuge and a strength and a very present help in trouble. The time of trouble, the sufficiency of God, the nearness of God. Let's just 
uh, in the last few minutes, the conclusion of the matter. Look at verse number 2. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea? Two words stand out in verse 2. The word therefore, and the little word though, therefore will not be fear. How often we try to tell ourselves, don't worry, don't be afraid, hope for the best, think positive thoughts, all will be well. We put our arms around others, don't worry, hope for the best, think positive thoughts, all will be well. But it doesn't work, does it? The psalmist uses here the word, therefore. I will not be afraid. Why? Because of what it says in verse number one. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my help. And God is very near. If he was not able to say that, he would not be able to say, therefore will not we fear. He says, we will not fear because I know the Lord. And I know who God is. And I know that God is near. And I know that God will provide a shelter for me. I know that God will give strength. I know that God will, will give help. I will not be afraid because God is my refuge. The everlasting God is my refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The word therefore. And then the little word though. Speaking almost hypothetically, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling roof, that virtually brings into play every aspect of nature. Even if the world itself falls down around me, even if that were to happen, if the most extreme things happen in my life, on the earth, and all around me, as it will, I believe, in the end time age, it will seem as if these things are happening, and the most extreme circumstances come into play, it still does not change the reality that God is my refuge, God is my strength, and He's a very present help in trouble. Help for the hard times. In 1947, I close with this lovely story. Dick and Margaret Hillis and their young family were missionaries in China, in the Honan province. Just down the road from where they were living, they had their mission church. And every Sunday, approximately 1,000 locals would file their way into that church to sit under the Word of God. But the communists were on the march. Mao Sung and his communist soldiers were on the march and war broke out and their city began to fall to the communists and shells were exploding all around them and bombs were dropping everywhere. And they huddled together that little missionary family in their little house in the middle of that city in China, fearing for their lives, huddled together in a little corner. A shell exploded in the house next door, killing all of the inhabitants. And as they prayed and sought the Lord, the shelling stopped. And they waited for maybe an hour or two, and they realized that things had subsided, at least for now. And they tucked their little children into bed. And as the mother was tucking the children into bed, she found a little scrap of paper underneath her own pillow. 
And as she unraveled that little scrap of paper, she read the words of Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And night by night she had been resting her head upon a very big verse from a very faithful God. And the same God is our God today. Help for hard times. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble.